about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Hi, my name's Gwen. Uh, if you want to follow along, the second reading is Matthew 21, 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Speak to us through your word this morning. And as you speak, give us ears to hear and hearts to respond in obedience. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Megan reminded us in the kids' talk, today is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the Sunday prior to Easter. It's the day when we remember uh, what happened in our Bible reading from Matthew 21, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem at the beginning of the week that eventually led to his death when he rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, when he rode into Jerusalem to great public acclaim. This event is traditionally called the triumphant entry, although this morning I want us to think about that. And particularly, I want to suggest to you that the description triumphant entry is really only half right. And in fact, to call it that actually might confuse us as to what we're supposed to take away from this event. That's what happened with the crowds on that day. They certainly saw it as a triumphant entry, hence the palm palm branches and all of that. But the crowds only got it half right. To understand the full significance of what was going on that day, we actually need to see these events from Matthew 21 against the background of the other reading we had this morning from Zechariah chapter 9. Jesus deliberately set up events that day in order to fulfil what was promised in Zechariah 9 verse 9. And I have to warn you, uh, I I did a PhD in Zechariah. It's a bit of a gimme. Uh, I don't think Roger perhaps knew this, but uh, I am going to spend a bit of time actually in Zechariah 9 before we come back to to Matthew 21. And that's because, not just because I want to go into my, ride my favourite hobby horse or my hobby colt into the Old Testament, uh, but because we're not going to understand the point that Jesus is making to the crowd that day in Matthew 21 unless we understand the Old Testament background. So come with me uh, to Matthew, not to Matthew initially, but back to Zechariah 9 verse 9, which you'll find on page 944 in those red Bibles in front of you. 
Uh, You'll see that this is how the NIV translates that verse. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, uh, uh, shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What we have there, according to the NIV translation, is the picture of a humble and gentle Jesus. Uh, And to kind of signal where you might go with that idea in a sermon, in fact, something that I have preached in the past, is that this is a picture of the humility of Jesus and uh, therefore the application for us is about uh, imitating the humility of Jesus who doesn't exalt himself as a great king but instead humbles himself. That is certainly true, and that would be a really good sermon to preach out of, I don't know, Philippians 2, but it's actually not the point of this part of the Bible, and it's not the point of Matthew 21. Uh, This verse that you've got in front of you is actually much more ambiguous than the NIV translation might suggest. So when it's, and there's there's two things I want to highlight. Uh, Firstly, when it says here that the king comes having salvation, the more natural translation of that verse, of the underlying Hebrew, is actually that he has, he comes having been saved. Uh, That's how the same word is used in Psalm 18, for example, when when King David declares, I will call to the Lord and I will be saved from my enemies. Now, the problem is that the king who's been saved from his enemies doesn't sound very triumphant, and it's perhaps for this reason that the the translators have opted for this more positive idea of the king comes bearing salvation, having salvation. But I want to say, now let's run with the idea that the king is actually coming to Jerusalem having been saved by the Lord. And I'll suggest to you where that might actually come from in the Old Testament in a moment. But before we get there, I want to highlight the second word, which I think is a bit more, even more ambiguous. That second word is the one that's translated gentle. Again, this isn't the most natural translation of this word. In fact, the word is elsewhere translated 90% of the time, not gentle, but uh, afflicted, oppressed something like that. That is, it's not so much that this is a figure who has been, who is humble, but rather has been humbled, as in humiliated. Psalm 22 uses this word to speak about uh, God's response to the suffering of King David. For he, that is the Lord, has not despised or disdained the suffering of his afflicted one. That word afflicted is the word that's translated here, gentle. He's not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Isaiah 53 similarly uses the same word to describe the suffering servant, the one who is stricken by God and afflicted. That's the same word. So what I'm saying is that Zechariah 9 verse 9 is actually painting a picture for us, not just of a gentle figure on a donkey, but rather it's painting a picture of a an unlikely hero. It's picturing God's saviour who has himself been saved, having been afflicted. And that's the imagery that's actually being highlighted by his mode of transport. In Zechariah 9, the, the king of all people is riding on a donkey. If this scene was intended to be a triumphant entry after the pattern of the ancient world, then the king would have been on his war horse or on the battle chariot. Kings don't ride donkeys to and from battle. The scene described in Zechariah 9 is not meant to be a triumphal procession. Indeed, according to Zechariah 9 verse 10, the chariot and the war horse are no more in Israel. The king returns not riding on an instrument of war, but on a donkey, and indeed not even on a fully grown beast, but on a a foal, the colt of a donkey. 
Just picture Jesus, a fully grown man, legs trailing along the ground uh, of, of this little, little animal. Although kings don't generally ride on donkeys in the Old Testament, there is one significant occasion when God's king did ride on a donkey. It was King David in 2 Samuel 15 and 16. This was hardly a time of great triumph for David. In fact, it was the reverse. It was a time of humiliation and almost complete defeat. It was the time when David's son Absalom had conspired against David to usurp his kingship. David was forced to flee from Jerusalem, weeping as he went up the Mount of Olives. And as he fled, David is met by a steward who provided donkeys for David and his household to ride. And so the picture of David riding on a donkey is not a scene of triumph. It's actually a David in exhaustion. It's, it's David in bitterness and tears. It's, it's David betrayed by his own son, as if God's curse were on him. By means of this imagery of a humbled king on a donkey, Zechariah 9 is depicting another David-like figure who's now returning back to Jerusalem. That is, Zechariah 9 verse 9 is is not so much the triumphant entry of the king as it is the return of the now vindicated suffering king. The king who's been afflicted and humiliated but now the Lord has saved him and brings him back to Jerusalem on that same humble donkey. The donkey that had been the sign of his humiliation is now actually something to glory in because it demonstrates that God has saved this king not by means of his own strength and power. Zechariah 9 announces that the way that God will bring salvation to his people is paradoxically through a king who's going to be another kind of a suffering David. The king whom God will bring back to Jerusalem is one who is saved from suffering and affliction. And through this, God will take away the, the war horse and the battle bow from his people. Peace will be proclaimed to all the nations, Zechariah 9 verse 10 and so on. That's how God will save his people. He's going to do again what he did through David. It, it, it's, it's a stream that's there through the Old Testament. And yet, it's a stream that I think is, is often missed. That that is how God saved David in the first place. We get another picture of the same paradox in Psalm 118, which again describes another likely saviour who returns to Jerusalem to great rejoicing. The king says, verses 13 and 14, I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Psalm 118 describes how God saves the king, who then brings salvation to the people. Now, why am I bringing all this this Old Testament background? Why am I talking about Psalm 118? Because the crowd in Matthew 21, they kind of get it. They actually connect together Zechariah 9 and Psalm 118 and indeed Psalm 18. Uh, According to to verses 8 and 9, we're we're now in Matthew 21, page 977, so we're leaving Zechariah behind. Um, What we read there is the crowd spread their cloaks on their road and the others cut branches from the trees and they spread them on the road. And the crowds went ahead of him and those those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Uh, The significance of those palm branches actually comes from Psalm 118, that psalm I mentioned a moment moment ago, that psalm that describes the unlikely saviour that God has raised up. Let me read to you from verses 26 and 27 of Psalm 118. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. With bows in hand, join in the festal festal procession up to the horns of the altar. That's what the crowd are doing in Matthew 21. They're fulfilling Psalm 118. The way that the people respond to the return of the suffering but now vindicated king is the way that the crowd responds to Jesus in Matthew 21. Their acclamation of Hosanna actually comes from Psalm 118. Uh, When the crowd say, Hosanna to the son of David, they are recognising that Jesus is this king whom God has has brought back to Jerusalem now in triumph. In in Luke's gospel, in the parallel account, they, they make it explicit. They say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So what am I saying? I'm saying the crowd kind of gets it. They realise that what's going on here is the fulfilment of the Old Testament and yet, at a most fundamental level, they don't get it. They get it in that they realise the symbolism of what Jesus is doing here, that Jesus, by riding on the colt, the foal of a donkey, Jesus is saying, hello, hello, I am the one predicted in Zechariah 9 verse 9. Jesus has carefully arranged the circumstances to make exactly this point. As we see in verses 1 to 3 in Matthew 21, Jesus prepares for his entry into Jerusalem, sending two disciples to a village ahead to find the the, the donkey and then to get the colt, the foal of that donkey. Either by divine foreknowledge or because Jesus has made arrangements beforehand, Jesus knows exactly where the colt will be found and he sets it up so it's just like Zechariah 9. The disciples find everything just as Jesus had predicted. They bring the colt to Jesus. Jesus sits on the colt and they lead him into Jerusalem. And the crowd see Jesus and they see the colt and they go, aha, we get it. This is Jesus claiming to be the king of Zechariah 9 verse 9. And that means that he's also the king of Psalm 118. And they acclaim him as such. Palm branches. And they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And yet... They don't really get it. Why do I say that? It's because within a week, the crowds of Jerusalem are again crying out about Jesus. But their words are no longer, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. No, within a week, the crowds of Jerusalem are screaming out, crucify him, crucify him. The the crowds clearly expected a different kind of a messiah. It seems that they were expecting a king who would perhaps come and overthrow their enemies and broke the yoke of of Roman oppression. What they wanted was a triumphant king, but what Jesus was setting himself up to be was not a triumphant king, but a suffering king. This is why it's so important, those two words in Zechariah 9 verse 9. So Zechariah 9 is not about a, a gentle king, it's actually about a humiliated king. They wanted a Messiah who would come and solve all their problems and make their life easier. They, they wanted triumph, but that's not what Jesus had come to bring. And indeed, when they discovered what Jesus came to bring, they turned their backs on him. The problem with calling this event in Matthew 21 the triumphant entry is that it actually gets the timing wrong. Because this is really only the precursor to the triumphant entry of Jesus. The triumphant entry of the king of Zechariah 9 verse 9 occurs after his humiliation, after God saves him from the the very point of death and brings him back, having saved him, to be the bearer of salvation for his people. For Jesus, the real triumphant entry 
is actually to occur on Easter Day, after the humiliation and defeat of Good Friday. That was when God vindicated his king and brought him back to his people. It's only on Easter Day that it becomes clear that the humiliation and defeat and the death of Jesus were actually essential to the plan of God to bring salvation to all God's people. That God's way of salvation is the paradox of victory through defeat, the paradox of strength made perfect in weakness, the paradox signalled to the crowd by Jesus uh, fulfilling Zechariah 9 verse 9 and a paradox missed by the crowd. The crowd cried out, Hosanna. In Hebrew, Hashiana, literally, Lord, save us, but in that context used as an acclamation, Lord, you save us. The crowd are acknowledging Jesus as the saviour, and indeed Jesus is the saviour, but he's not the kind of saviour that they wanted. They they presumably wanted a saviour from the Romans. Jesus had come to be not that kind of a saviour, but the saviour who would die on a cross to save them from their sin. And that wasn't the kind of Jesus they were looking for. Palm Sunday ought to make us ask, what kind of a saviour Jesus am I looking for? Am I expecting him to be the triumphant warrior who will fight my battles and make my life easier? What do I expect, therefore, as a follower of that kind of a Jesus? A a trouble-free life of ease, the glory of the triumphant entry being reflected in the triumph of my own life, the public acclaim of the crowd. If we've correctly understood what Jesus is doing in Matthew 21, then what we should expect as the followers of the suffering Christ is not a life of triumphant entry, but rather the triumphal procession that the Apostle Paul describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, where he says that God has put us on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. Not what you expected, is it? That's the triumphal procession of the Christian. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, Paul says, because that's God's way, strength made perfect in weakness. The paradox of, yes, glory, but glory through suffering. Today is the day for us, if we are the people of God, to acclaim Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. But let's understand what we're saying when we say this about Jesus. Let our hosannas to Jesus be in praise to him because we know him to be our saviour. The suffering king of Zechariah 9 verse 9. The one who brought peace to God's people because he himself was afflicted. The suffering one delivered over to death but then brought ultimately to victory after that. An unlikely hero. A king whom God, uh, through whom God snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. And let us acclaim him and follow him as king, realising that being followers of that kind of a king means walking in the path that he walked, where the ultimate vindication and glory come after humiliation and defeat. The crowds that day said the right words, but in the end it was only lip service. As it turns out, they were not prepared to follow Jesus the Saviour, the messianic son of God, because... They didn't like that that path led to the cross. 
Matthew 21 asks us, what kind of a follower of Jesus will you be? Are you just going to be like those crowds who say the right words? Jesus, you're my saviour, but either don't understand them or are not prepared to follow him to his path. Matthew 21 challenges us to accept Jesus as our suffering saviour king, the king whom God humbled for our sake, and to follow this king, even if it means for us now following in the way of the triumphal procession of humiliation and defeat as the precursor to an ultimate triumphant entry into glory. Follow that Jesus now. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.